Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. And we're going to uh, be starting a new series today. There was a man by the name of Mike Rowe a few years ago. I don't know if he still has the TV show called Dirty Jobs. Who watched Dirty Jobs? Yeah, wasn't that an interesting show? I, I particularly enjoyed some of the more gruesome jobs that are out there for people to do in this world. And uh, my sole prayer really is that my children aspire to something greater than being plumbers. Not that there's anything wrong with being a plumber. I have been, I've, I used to be a plumber and, uh, and really being a pastor and a plumber is practically the same thing. Right, right down to, I've plunged toilets right here in this building a number of times. So it's, uh, dirty jobs are kind of everywhere. They're all around us. They're in every part of life. And I think what happens for us is, as believers, if, you, if you're someone who's submitted your life to Jesus, you're a believer now. Um, and I think what happens is in the church, we get used to the idea that everything is rosy, it's smooth, it's comfy, cozy, and we, we, we kind of get this this mental attitude that we just don't get our hands dirty with that. And, and so this series is designed to shake us up from that thinking because um, I think if you read the scriptures, you're going to find that scripture has a lot of dirty jobs in it. And, and, and in fact, what Jesus came to do in this world when he was the begotten of the heavenly father, what you're going to find is, is that Jesus came specifically to do dirty jobs, even to the point where he said, hey, I came for, for the sick, not the healthy people. I'm here, for, I'm here for people. What does that mean, you're sick? It doesn't mean you have just a cold. I mean, it means you have a running out of your face and eyes and snot holes. You got, you got a cold and you're throwing up on people. And really, that's the world Jesus walks into. At least that's my world that Jesus walked into. And I had it pretty good, I have to admit. But yet, I was a dirty job and Jesus decided that I was worth doing. And so as we consider the next few weeks and we talk about these different aspects, I just, my prayer is that you will open your heart to hear what the Holy Spirit wants to say to you and that you're going to let your life be transformed in alignment with what God's will is for His people. All right, so Dirty Jobs, uh, the title of today's message is The Sacrifice of Praise. Now, some of us have no idea that the sacrifice of praise is actually a dirty job. So I'm just going to give you, uh, give you some background on what dirty job is in terms of the sacrifice of praise. So here's the first thing I want to say, that if you're into only doing tidy jobs where it comes to the sacrifice of praise, I think you're missing something huge in your walk with Jesus. I'll just say that again. If you're a person who only is into doing the tidy things when it comes to a sacrifice of praise, you are missing a huge part of your walk with Jesus. If you're going through life and you find that you are never being called upon to do a dirty job in God's kingdom, I think it's possible maybe that you're doing your Christian thing without Jesus. Oh, smack. He didn't just do that. Oh, he did. Oh, he did. He did just say that. Why do I say that? Because Jesus was about doing some of the dirty jobs. He, he, he didn't come the way people thought he would. He was born in a manger in a cattle stall, in a stable. That's, that's, some of you know that's a dirty job. I have cows. If you want to see dirty job, you come and hang out with my cows for a little while. Better yet, how about the pigs? Yeah. See, Jesus was born in dirty. So I think that if we're never experiencing any dirt in our walk, maybe, 
Maybe we're walking without the Lord. Just saying. Just think about that. As if God said it to you, not me. Because if you want to be mad at God, I have no problem with that. He can take it. Me, on the, I'm a little more fragile. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I'm, not all that, I'm not all that fragile. Uh, all right, so um, let's start with a very obvious parallel, at least obvious to all of you biblical scholars in the room. In Old Testament times, everyone say Old Testament. In Old Testament times, sacrifice was a regular or what they call a ritual part of everyday life. Every month of the Hebrew calendar, there were various sacrifices that had to be made uh, at various times of year. In certain years, between certain numbers of years, there were different kinds of sacrifices that God required. Everyone say required. Sacrifices are requirements of God, just so you know. It didn't change when Jesus came. Sacrifice is still a requirement of our Heavenly Father for us. Um, and so we need to understand that there was the sin and the fellowship feasts and offerings, and there was, and, and there was the shedding of blood for the remission of sin for atonement. There was, there was all these things going on all the time, and, and it was a whole lot of like barbecue and cooked meat and washing of bloody sacrifices and, and sending the little lamb that your kid raised to the altar. I mean, it was... It was a dirty job in the Old Testament. Thousands of animals. Just, just imagine, imagine this. Let's say there's half a million people that walk out of Egypt when God leads Israel. Let's just say that. Now, those people through 40 years, you know, there wasn't Mr. Boombastic, but people would be getting it on. They'd be married, they'd be having the babies. And so Israel was growing even as it wandered through the wilderness. And for every person... There was sin. And the culmination of the whole, can you imagine all the animals that they brought with them? Just imagine the animals necessary to make sacrifices for atonement for all of the people. Not just for atonement, but also for fellowship, for feasts, for, like I said, it's an incredibly uh, gruesome job, actually. And there's the washing. And you could, I don't know if you can get your head around this, but how many, how many, Thousands of gallons of water would have been hauled manually to wash these sacrifices before they were made. They were bled right out there on the altar. The blood was placed on the altar. Uh, they were cooking, and they cooked. They roasted some of it. They boiled some of it. I mean, being a, a Levite, being a preacher or a priest in the temple back in those days or the tabernacle was difficult because your portion was whatever you stuck in the pot. Whatever came out on your fork, that was your portion. And I just know that if that was how we did church today, I'd be pretty selective about whose house I was coming to for lunch. Just say it. Like, oh, the McKenzie's, they do good barbecue. Baby, I feel the Lord leading us to the McKenzie's for barbecue after church today. Because, because we know they're not giving us those skinny pork ribs. It's full-on beef ribs, yo. Baby, the beef, the beef, the beef. It was a tough thing. It was a dirty job. It was messy. Everything about it was messy and dirty and hard in the Old Testament. And sometimes I think that we forget that even though the Old Testament law has been satisfied by Jesus at the cross, we think that it's done away with and there are no principles that remain in effect in the New Testament. Now this is very important for us to understand. I never ever want to hear somebody who attends Generations Church say, oh yeah, no, Jesus took care of that so the Old Testament doesn't count. Doesn't matter anymore. It absolutely matters. Jesus himself said that I came not to destroy the law or the prophets, but to what? But to fulfill the law and the prophets in Matthew 5:17. I did not come to destroy the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them. 
So we need to understand there's always a principle that carries forward from the Old Testament into the life of a believer today. Not just a believer, but into the lives of people today. Now how many of you understand this? If we have the Old Testament law, let's just sum them up as the Ten Commandments. You know, it's not like we put the adulterer to death in church today. But does death still come to the life of a person who commits adultery? It absolutely does. And there are people sitting in this church who can testify by firsthand experience how devastating, how painful the losses are with something like adultery. And murder, we don't kill people for murder anymore. We imprison them for eight years if they get the maximum in Canada. Which seems a little weak, I'm just saying. But, but, but what, what am I saying? The principle is still there. It's not, it's not that the Old Testament rule of law, that part was fulfilled. Everyone say fulfilled. Fulfilled by Jesus. But nonetheless, in the principle of what comes forward, we see that death comes to us when we sin against God and each other. Sin always breaks relationship. Always. That's, what, that's the most devastating th- thing that sin actually does. Sin breaks relationship. And we have so many people wandering around thinking they're in relationship who will only discover in a short time that that relationship was actually dead. And it's a horrible thing to watch someone walk through. You know, if you covet something, that's an Old Testament commandment. Shall not covet. And if we covet, it brings death into our life because we place someone else's God in front of God. Right? Well, it's covenant. Covenant is when you look at your neighbor's brand new $85,000 pickup truck, and that's what, promote, pr- that's what prompts you to go buy a new truck yourself. God didn't tell you to buy a truck. Your neighbor did. You following me? Hey, if you, whatever your eyes go to, if that's what you're going to worship. Now, the principle of coveting then still follows you into today. And this is true all through the Old Testament. Old Testament principle and law follow us in ways into our life with Jesus. All right, so the sacrifice of praise, specifically, is a dirty job. So let's just start with a definition. What is the sacrifice of praise? Somebody asked me that, just so I feel like I'm not just... Oh, thank you for asking that question, my sister in the Lord. Well, the sacrifice of praise class is Hebrews 13.15. We'll put it up on the screen. Let's read this. Let's read this together aloud. Don't worry, you won't catch on fire. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. All right, there we have it. What is the sacrifice of praise? It's the fruit of the lips that openly profess his name. I like the NASB. It says the fruit of our lips that give thanks to his name. Now remember that I told you there are events in the Old Testament that are fulfilled by Jesus and carried in principle into the New Testament. And this is actually an example of what we were just talking about. Um, the context of the whole thought becomes very important. So now we're going to read, in the book of Hebrews chapter 13, we're going to read verses 9 through 16. And to save time, I'm just going to read it, because I can read out loud twice as fast as we can read out loud. But read along with me in your mind and in your heart. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside of the camp. 
And so, and everyone say, and so. And so, this is the transference of Old Testament practice law ritual to principle in the New Testament through Jesus. And so, Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that that openly profess his name and do not forget to do good and to share with others for such sacrifices, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. So now I hope you can see this. Can you see it? Can you see, can you see the principle being transferred through Jesus from law to present reality? The, the writer of Hebrews draws a symbolic representation of Old Testament events through Jesus and makes it an application in the life of a believer. And you will see this with everything that happened in the Old Testament. Through the filter or through the lens of Jesus dying on the cross, everything is made new. Not that it's forsaken, but fulfilled, and it becomes empowering in our life when we honor the principle. Understand that this is a huge deal for the people known as the Hebrews. Now, I know that some of you are geniuses, and because this particular book of the Bible is called Hebrews, I don't need to tell you that the author was aiming directly at the Hebrew people. Ah, I know. We're not rocket scientists, but we figure things out, don't we? So he's, he, he's speaking something that is, just so you understand, that is actually obscene. It's profane to the Hebrew people. Let me tell you why. Because in the Jewish religious customs, they did not call God by his name. They didn't call God by his name. In fact, they would not even spell his name. Because to spell or to speak his name was to profane it. To take away and make it unholy when it was supremely holy. They were so reverent of Heavenly Father that, that when they would, they would write out some of the letters, but not all of the letters. That's how much respect they had for the name of God. It was so holy. It was too holy for mere humans to reach. But in the book of Hebrews, we, we see a total change in this thinking. Now, understand the context. This being written specifically to Hebrew people, this is a jaw-dropper. You're going to openly give thanks and profess his name out your mouth. I love the last little part of that thought as it's being wrapped down in verse 16. Oh, and don't forget. <laughs> oh, and don't forget. Do good and share with others. For these are the sacrifices that are pleasing to God. Well, I think good works we understand. And I think that we have a lot of folks that sit in these seats and hang out in these groups and build a relationship here that understand doing good works. We like doing good works. It's fun. There's a reward in it. It feels great. But sharing, if I tell you to share something, what, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Well, most of us who have kids, it's like, well, one kid isn't sharing. So we're all gonna we're gonna divide the toys or take them away, but that's actually not what the the context of the of the Greek is here. And the context from the Greek is the word koinonia, is the root word. 
And I can't remember now, it's like koinonakos or something like that, uh, because it's a variation. But the, the, the principle here to understand is that we are to share, we are to do the good works, and we are to share. Now remember, openly professing his name, giving thanks for what he's done is the sacrifice of praise. And this is a continuation. Not only is professing the name of Christ, professing his name as what he's done for us, uh, share, you know, uh, sharing out loud in a worship service that God is good and he has done great things, it's actually that we do good to each other, but that also that we share with others. We share with others. And that word, that, that root word in the Greek, when you understand what it is trying to encompass in that concept of share with others, it's spiritual in nature. It's spiritual fellowship, it's communion, so like literally breaking bread. But as I was reading and pouring over this, I realized something. It's actually the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus. You say, well, I don't know, that's a stretch, Pastor. No, it's not a stretch. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And so when we're communing and we're sharing with others, what are we sharing with people? Yes, good works, but should we not also openly profess and share the name and the cause of Jesus with all those around us? But that's a little dirty for some of us. Well, I don't mean to say it's dirty because it's the name of Jesus you're thinking in your mind right now. But I'm just not comfortable with that, Pastor Trav. Well, good. Because this is not a church for comfortable people. Unless you're new, then be comfortable. <laughs> I laugh because those of you who have been with us for a while know that we do next steps. You should take part. You should learn about our church, what we do, why we're a little different than all the other churches around us, and, and why God is doing something unique here. We talk all that through. And then you come to the place, you sit down with Pastor Amy and I, and we welcome you, and we love on you, and we pray, and we're like, congratulations, welcome to Generations Church. It's no longer about you. <laughs> that's your prize. Sweet. Welcome to the team. Get to work. But that's because we're called to dirty jobs. We're called to the messiest parts of people's lives, and it's awesome because God makes all things beautiful in His time. Just amazing things. Marriages that are dead just boing, spring right back up out of the ground. I can't even wait to see what God is going to do in the coming weeks and months. Oh, my goodness. All right. Um, I realize that when I say things like, it's not only is it the fruit of your lips giving thanks, but don't forget to share with others and do good works. See, it becomes a dirty job for us because that's not what most people want to do. Most people want to have what we call the holy huddle. Us four, no more. You know, and that's, that's just not who God has ever called the church to be. In fact, God's never called any one human being to be that at all. We are called to the dirty job of relationship, which will absolutely be in this series. Because relationships are dirty jobs sometimes. So, I don't think we're right to assume that this should be easy. Anyone who has worked a garden, worked an orchard, uh, flower bed, whatever, if you've done any work at all, you know that there is one thing for sure that's associated with fruit. And what is it? It's sweat. 
It's work, it's hard, it's dirt, it's dirty, it's mud, it's dirt-stained faces, it's soiled clothing, it's dirt under your fingernails, and as Mara would point out, it's also dirt on the carrots, Dad. Because that's the best part of carrots, is the dirt. And anytime we see the word fruit in the Bible, I just want you to get this. Anytime you see the word fruit in the Bible, I want you to remember that fruit is always the result of a dirty job. It doesn't matter where you're coming from. It doesn't matter where you're going to, how great God's made you or how little God's made you. Any progress, any fruit that will be measurable in your life is going to be the result of a dirty job that somebody did. Somebody turned over the soil, somebody kept it free of weeds, somebody maintained the rows, somebody pruned it back from time to time. It's a dirty job. So very quickly, I just want to talk about the benefits of the sacrifice of praise. I got seven deadly silver bullets for you. Gold bullets, whatever kind of bullet you want, I don't care. Uh, but there's seven here, and I want you to remember these Understanding that the sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to God or openly professing his name. Uh, this, this, is the, this is the why. This is the what happens when we become people who invest in the dirty job of praise. The first one is this, that the sacrifice of praise always invites the presence of God. The sacrifice of praise invites the presence of of God. So when you're feeling separated from God, you should offer a sacrifice of praise. You absolutely should offer. When you're feeling separated from God. Pastor, I don't know how to hear from God. I don't know what God's saying to me. I don't feel close to God. Have you offered a sacrifice of praise? That will be what I say to you. Have you offered a sacrifice of praise? Because the sacrifice of praise, and we can show this all through Scripture, attracts and brings the presence of God into your life. Psalm 22, verse 3 says, Yet you are holy, you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. Now, I don't often kick at Old King James Version, but let me do it for you today. The Old King James Version says that you, O Lord, inhabit the praises of your people. What does that mean that God inhabits the praises of his people? He lives in the praises. He is revealed in the praises. And it doesn't change the language much to go to the NASB. For you are, yet you are holy, O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. You see, when we offer the sacrifice of praise to God, we are enthroning Him in our situation. Now what happens? Who sits on a throne? A king sits on a throne. And so when we, in our circumstance, in our desperation, in our pain, in our hour of need, the point of addiction where we just feel like we can't break through, we can't do it our own, what would happen if we begin to worship and praise God and say, God, I'm going to make you the king of that domain. I'm going I'm to enthrone you on my praises in this area of my life because how I'm ruling this area of my life is killing me. Man, that's good preaching right there. Anyways, 1 Peter 2.9. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are, this is talking about you, by the way. You are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. Everyone say possession. God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into a wonderful 
or marvelous, as some translations say, light. You see, we are his possession. I love that some translations, you're his own treasured possession. I don't want to be God's possession. Oh, you do want to be his treasured possession. Trust me. You ever watched a little girl? She has a favorite toy and a not favorite toy. One is a possession. One is a treasured possession. Understand this in your heart today. If God were a little girl like my daughter or one of your daughters, you are not the toy that the weird uncle gave you that gets left at home or left out in the rain. No, no, no. You are the one that your favorite grandma gave you that is so special and so wonderful and that the little girl carries everywhere under her arm. That's what it means to be a possession of God, to literally be carried. Scripture says so many places, the Lord will uphold you by his strong right hand. The Lord will uphold you by his mighty arm. The He'll hide you safely in the shadow of his wing. You're the favorite possession. And when we begin to make a sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks, openly professing his name, we invite the presence of God. The second bullet I have for you is that the sacrifice of praise brings renewal. Everyone say renewal. Renewal to us in his presence. So if you're feeling beat down, tired out, I didn't really want to come to church today because this week took so much out of me. Renewal comes to you when you make the sacrifice of praise. Psalm 16, verse 11. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. Your right hand, there are pleasures forever. You know why? David wrote that because he lived it for real. He lived it for real. And when we make the sacrifice of praise, the ways of our Heavenly Father become focused in our hearts and minds. Psalm 63, verses 3 to 4, because your love is better than life. My lips, everyone say my lips. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you. Everyone say praise you. For as long as I live, and in your name, let's read that last word together, in your name, I will lift up my hands. Why? Because when we let our lips glorify, when we let praise flow out of our mouths, and when we lift our hands, he renews us in his presence. Uh, so many times, we, we, we maybe as, as churchy kind of people, sometimes you, you know, people raise your hands. I don't want to raise my hands. Well, raising our hands is a submissive posture, isn't it? It's also a posture of reception. If you want to go back and podcast, we talked a lot about postures a few months ago. All right, so it brings renewal to us in his presence. The sacrifice of prayer, bullet number three, gets the focus off of me and back onto him. I tell you what, if you're in a worship service and the focus is on you, then you are the object of worship. <laughs> yeah, that sucks when you're thinking you're singing so awesome on a Sunday morning and all of a sudden you realize, it's not about me. <laughs> Been there. Know what that's like. <laughs> but God, I'm singing so good. He's that. If you're just singing good for me, it'd be awesome. The sacrifice of praise. When we make it a sacrifice, not only does it take the focus off of me, but it takes the focus off of everything around me when it's really a sacrifice. 
Psalm 150, verse 2, praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. See, when we begin to focus on who he really is and what he's done, when we begin to count our blessings, all of the things that we don't feel blessed in begin to pale in comparison to what he's actually done for us. And you know, a lot of people could say, I don't, I don't feel like God has done. I don't care how you feel. Literally start counting up the blessings. We are not to be people who are driven by emotions. We are to be people who are not subject to the whim of emotion. We are people who are called to be subject to the truth and then to live that truth out in spite of what we feel. My dad used to always say, son, you can choose how you're going to feel about this. And I remember thinking that's a pretty hard thing to say because you don't know how I feel right now, dad. I don't want to go up on that stage. I don't want to sing. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to. You see, generally moms and dads know better. They know better than you. So get the focus off of yourself and back where it belongs. Sacrifice of praise helps you to do that. Uh, Psalm 35, 27, 28. Let them shout for joy and rejoice who favor my vindication. Now it says, and let them say continually, the Lord be magnified who delights in the prosperity of his servant and my tongue shall declare your righteousness and your praise all day long. I just want to give you very quick context on this. He's writing about a moment when his enemies are assailing him. And when it says, uh, let them shout for joy and rejoice, who favor my vindication, and let them say continue, the Lord be magnified, who delights in the prosperity of his servant. This is in response to being under attack. I don't feel like offering a sacrifice of anything when I'm under attack. I'll tell you what, if you read the Bible, you're going to find time and time and time again when believers, when the sons of Israel were under attack, they began to worship God. They offered a sacrifice of praise, and it dynamically changed the reality that they were in. Come on. Fourth bullet, one of my favorite for this generation. Sacrifice of praise trades heaviness for joy. Take out the word heaviness and just put depression in there. For a more generational application, it trades our depression for joy. Isaiah 61, verse 3, to grant those who, everyone say, who mourn in Zion, who mourn, to grant those who are depressed, who are sad, who are feeling down and out, who don't think it's fair anymore, all of those kinds of people, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Man, he trades all your heaviness for joy. If you would just make the sacrifice of praise. You know what the best thing about the sacrifice of praise concerning your depression is? You know what you're putting on the altar? Your depression. Pastor, I hate being depressed. Well, then put it to death. Put it on the altar and give it to God. What's, what's interesting is we end up in this, well, actually, I kind of like my depression. No kidding. That's what we're like. Sometimes we're really messed up, aren't we? God's, God's openly saying, I will trade you. I will trade you all of your Oilers hockey cards. 
for this vintage Bobby Orr. It's worth $3.2 million. And we're like, but I love the Oilers. And these cards came from McDonald's on top of it, God. You don't understand how important they are to me. Right? Is that not crazy? I know that nobody even collects hockey cards anymore, but every one of us understands that's just stupid. Man, sometimes we're so slow. It hurts. Come on. Trades heaviness for joy. Bullet number five. The, spirit, the sacrifice of praise makes the enemy flee. Sacrifice of praise always makes the enemy flee. I have seen things with my physical eyes in the spiritual realm, literally. And I have watched demonic entities literally vanish, run away as the people of God worship. 2 Chronicles 20, verse 22, when they began singing and praising, the Lord set ambushes against the sons of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so they were routed. I believe this is in the reign of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat's the coolest name in almost all of the Bible, just so you know. Jehoshaphat. Just say it. Just try it. Come on, say it. No, not just Jehoshaphat. No, no. It's, you got to say it. You got to say it like you're at least partially not white. It's like Jehoshaphat. Yeah, Jehoshaphat. And he just told the singers to sing. They praised the Lord in his holiness instead of shouting out a battle cry. A guy named Don Francisco wrote a song about this. And all the way down to the enemy's camp, they sang to the Lord on high. They were singing, Praise ye the Lord. For his mercy endures forever and ever. Praise ye the Lord. Hey! For his mercy endures forever and ever. Uh, Jan, that was a minor right there. It's okay. I'm just teasing. Just teasing. Don't let it throw you off. All right. Makes the enemy flee. The enemy runs away when we begin to profess the name of the Lord as a sacrifice of praise. Man. Bullet six. The sacrifice of praise will always open the door of God's blessing. Always. It will. I promise you. Ephesians 1, 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. You see, when we begin, and remember this, you say, I don't see the connection, but if you go back up just real quickly to our text earlier, it said, do not be carried away, which is the benefit, da, 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 if we do not have, through verse 15, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer. And we come back down to the book of Ephesians in bullet point number six. Opens the doors of God's blessing. Ephesians 1.3 and it says, Blessed be God our Father of the Lord Jesus Christ who has been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. You see, it's through Jesus. It's through Jesus that we make the sacrifice of praise and it's through Jesus that we receive every spiritual blessing. Why? Because Jesus is the door that no man can shut. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through Him. Oh, yeah. All right, bullet seven. Bullet seven. I like, I like to think that I saved the best one for last because it's the one that gets me the most excited. Like, kick. <laughs> I know that looked a little scripted, right? Because it was. I mean, just now I scripted it. All right, in the book of Acts, 
one of the best books of the Bible. If you have no faith, read the book of Acts. If you're, oh, I don't feel, I don't, I don't feel any faith, just read the book of Acts. Say, Jesus, make this real to me. Show me what you want to show me, and then read the book of Acts. It'll freak you right out, blow your mind. You'll get baptized in the Holy Spirit, baptized in water, saved all in the same week if you do. <laughs> Seriously, it's all there. All right, Acts 16, 25 to 30. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God because they were in jail. And the prisoners were listening to them. But pastor, I don't like to sing songs and worship in front of other people. My relationship with God, my sacrifice of praise is just quietly between me and God. Whatever. As they were singing hymns of praise to God and all the other jailbirds were listening to them. Now that's a mission field. And suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. Everyone say, the foundations were shaken. Oh, that'll preach, right? All by itself, that'll preach. The foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately, everyone say, immediately. Immediately, all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill on himself, supposing that all the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice. Everyone say loud voice. A loud voice saying, do not harm yourself. We are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And I still want my sacrifice of praise just to be quiet. Maybe your sacrifice of praise isn't for Jesus. Right? What would have happened if they didn't sing out loud? Revelation, you ready for this? Nothing. (laughs) Right? Somebody gets it. Oh, you can't say that. Oh, yes, I can. What? What would have happened if Paul wouldn't have shouted, what what, what did it say? Loudly. The Apostle Paul whispered across the jail to the jailer, don't harm yourself. No. Guys, if God shows up and God makes a statement, why would we hold back from making God's statement? If God walks into the room and the foundations of your prison walls begin to shake and all of a sudden you look down and because of the presence of God simply showing up in your room, the fetters, the chains, the shackles are no longer on your hands. In other words, you have been delivered from bondage. I'm just going to whisper because the Lord knows our thoughts. Yeah, he does know your thoughts, but he wants to hear your voice. feel like we're all convinced. That's okay. It's not my job to convince you. I trust that the Holy Spirit will. Man, I'm living for the days when the testimony of the saints is so full of the presence of God that the sacrifice of praise has been made so many times on the altar of his grace and mercy in our lives, that the outflow of that sweeps people into the kingdom of God. 
I know there's a couple of my friends in this church who really don't like music. New friends, old friends. And I'm just so glad you're here, but I just want, I want, to, I want to tell you something. In heaven, where we all are planning on going, by God's grace, by the sacrifice and mercy of Jesus Christ, I, I, don't, I, I don't want to wreck heaven for you. But we're going to sing there. And, 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 and if you're worried about the song, don't worry. It's all planned out already. The Bible says we're going to sing the song of Moses. I don't know what the song of Moses is. It doesn't really specifically say. But knowing Moses, I'm pretty sure it's going to have something to do with deliverance, freedom, being set free, coming from a dead place to a live place. You know, just, I just want to prepare you. If you don't listen to us all these years, and one day when you die and you see Jesus really is, you're going to be like, oh, shoot. Should have practiced just a little more. You know, some of the best worshipers I know are people that can't sing very well. And I don't mean like, oh, they worship with their pocketbook or they worship as they work. I mean, some of the best sing out loud, lift their hands, praise God with everything they are. Worshipers are terrible singers. I tell you what, if you think that it's all about the polish, you've missed the point entirely. It's not about the polish, it's about the vessel. And you and I are the vessels that God wants to fill with his mercy, his grace, his love, his power, his compassion for this world so that he can then take us and pour us out on the people you work with, on your neighbors, on your husband, on your wife, on your children. God is so good to us. He wants us to make the sacrifice of praise because not only does it do these seven things we've talked about, but so much more. So much more. If we could just get it through our heads. The sacrifice of praise begins with some words out loud. And those words might just be, God, thank you. Thank you for what you've done in my life. And I'm amazed we're going to sing the song again. We sang it to end the service. When we say thank you, God comes to the room. Come on. When we say thank you, God walks into the room. Do you understand why Jesus set the example of giving thanks at our meals? Why? Because when we begin to give thanks... It's connected to the sacrifice of praise. And when we give thanks, God walks into the room. <laughs> Invite the worship team to come. And we're just going to pray a very simple prayer. We're going to open up the front of the church. We call this an altar. And it's really a symbol. In Old Testament times, they would bring their sacrifice to the altar, which was at the head of the assembly, just so you know. And they would lay their sacrifice down. And wherever you're at this morning, I, I want you to understand that there's an invitation that you can respond to. You can come and lay a sacrifice this morning. And it might just be a few words. Maybe you just need to come and 
worship God for a few moments as we sing this last song, but I want you to ask the Holy Spirit that very important question, which is, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do with what I just heard today? Because when we invite God to point out to us what we should have caught, he is very good at pointing out to us what he wanted us to catch. Would you just take a moment and bow your head and just ask him quietly in your heart, out loud, whatever you're comfortable with. Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do with what I've heard today? And now would you just let me pray for you? Lord, your word is so clear when we take the time to understand your whole thought for us. It's amazing how clear it can become. And Father, for every person who has come to meet here today that has a struggle, an issue, an addiction, a problem, a habitual sin, Lord, all the things that we might come with, Jesus, would you just help us right now to have the courage to place it on the altar? To make our brokenness, to make our pain, our suffering, our foolishness even, God, to make that the sacrifice that we lay before you today. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.